Welcome, everyone. This is Michael Blue, and you've connected to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, the podcast, where we are cultivating makers and shapers of culture. Prepare for a riveting time in the principles and practices of the King and of His Kingdom. You are about to be charged, challenged, and changed. I know you're ready. Let's go. Father, we're grateful that you have given us this great day, this glorious opportunity to call upon your name in the midst of your professionals. Thank you for each of these men and women. You've given them unique gifts, abilities, and talents, and you have place those gifts, abilities, and talents within the framework of a profession or an occupation or a vocation. And through that vocation, through that occupation, through that profession, they will shift worlds. They will shift culture for your glory. Thank you that you have delivered us from the curse of causelessness. Thank you that we have a sense of purpose, a sense of identity, a sense of assignment. I ask that you would cover and strengthen and keep each individual. I ask you, Lord, that you would minister them at the point of their need. Let them know that you are the Lord who heals them. You are the Lord who provides for them. You're the Lord, their righteousness. You are the Lord, their shepherd. You are the Lord, their peace. Thank you that you are all to us. Thank you that you are all, all that we need and all that we truly, purely desire. You are all, and not only are you all, but you are exceeding abundantly above all that we are able to either ask or even think. Thank you for it. Thank you that you're mending broken hearts. Thank you that you are opening blinded eyes and that you are opening the ears of the deaf and that you are loosing the tongue of the dumb. You're doing it naturally and you're doing it supernaturally. And in every regard, we are grateful. We give you the glory, the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go to our lesson. Let's go to our lesson. And I say our, our lesson. You understand, it's not a sermon. It's not a sermon in the traditional sense of it. But it is the purpose of these sessions is that we would look at the word of God, extract and extrapolate principles, extract from the word, extrapolate from lives and events in the word, those principles, those principles that govern every aspect of our existence. You see, the principles that we extrapolate, these are, and, and sometimes directly extract, these are the laws of the kingdom of God. They are the laws that govern God's kingdom or through which God governs his kingdom. Laws. I was thinking about that there, there, there are many, there's so many, there's so many, and then 
each one of those those laws manifest themselves or, or give rise to other laws. One of one of the laws of the kingdom of God, one of the laws of the kingdom of God is versatility. You might say diversity, but I'm going to use the term versatility. Brother Elvin Smith, it's so good to see you. Good to see everybody. Sister Willis, Sister Mozik. I won't be able to call all of the names. And you didn't ask me to do so, but I enjoy uh, when I have the opportunity. But um, <clears throat> I love to uh, consider the fact that um, the laws of the kingdom of God, the principles from the scripture are the laws of the kingdom of God. Um, Proverbs 17 and 8. Proverbs 17 8. The law of versatility. Everybody say the law of versatility. Matter of fact, go ahead and put it in the comments. The law of versatility. All right. Let me do the English teacher on you for just a moment. The root verse or vert means to turn. The roots, the root, the the Latin root, if I make no mistake, is Latin. Root verse or vert <clears throat> means to turn. All right. And if you will join me in the book of Proverbs, chapter 17, you will find these words written. Chapter 17 and verse 8. A gift is as a precious stone in the eyes of him that hath it, whithersoever it turneth, it prospereth. A gift is as a precious stone in the eyes of him that hath it, whithersoever it turneth, it prospereth. When God, now this verse, no doubt, means many, many more things than what one such as I can comprehend, apprehend. But let me give you just a little bit that, that I've been able to, to grasp. By the time a precious stone is put on display, on a ring, in another piece of jewelry, besides a ring, or maybe just set out on a display case or what have you, usually that precious stone has been polished, has been ground, and often it has more than one facet that is more than one face more than one surface and it is as the light hits that multifaceted gem that whichever way you turn that gem each time the light hits it it sends off a different radiance and certainly with a diamond a diamond that is ground properly or and and, and has the facets properly shaped every which way that the light hits it the radiance comes forth and is emitted emit, emitted to the extent that sometimes even different colors can come forth <clears throat> as the light hits that precious stone even so whatever gift god has placed within your life that gift can turn and whichever way that gift turns that's verse vert versatility it can prosper that is 
the same gift of teaching that the Sunday school teacher employs on Sunday morning can be employed on Wall Street on Monday morning as he or she teaches brokers and investors how to navigate the financial world. Same gift of teaching. Whichever way you turn it, it prospers. That's the reason why you cannot afford to see yourself as one dimensional. All I is, is, it's all I am. All I is, is a janitor. All I is, no, 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 there's no all I is. It's all I am, but that's not the point. The point is the giftings <clears throat> that God has placed within your life, enabling you to do what you do. Turn it. And whichever way it turns, it prospers. Whichever way it turns, it prospers. That's God's will. You are multifaceted. You are multidimensional because our God is omnifaceted and omnidimensional. And you were created. Never forget it. Never forget it. You were created in his image after his likeness. And if he is infinitely diverse, then you are certainly diverse. All right? That's one of the laws of the kingdom of God. Joseph took his gift of administration, God's gift to Joseph and in Joseph, to Potiphar's house, turned it as a household steward, and it prospered. He got into prison, same gift administration, turned it as the understudy of the warden. And whichever way it turned, it prospered. Got into Pharaoh's palace, turned the same gift of administration now as prime minister, saved the world. Whichever way that gift turns, it prospers. If it's a God gift and the God gift, notice now the diamond is the gift, but the diamond must be ground, polished. When it is so, it reflects the light in such a way that whichever way you turn it to prosper. Even so, we must be processed so that whichever way God reflects out of us and radiates from us, we, we are a blessing. But you must notice this, the radiance does not come from the stone. The radiance comes from the light. The stone merely reflects the light. God is the source. We are a reflection of God. Isn't that good? That's good, uh, friends. That's good. Now, let's move to, so, 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 so what's the point? The point is, that's why we have these discussions. We have these discussions so that you can take Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 8 and go to a department in your company that's not being as productive as it should be and help the people identify their giftings and let them know, hey, we just need to turn ourselves differently. We just need to pivot a little bit. 
we've got what it takes. We just need to turn it a, a different way so that we can cause this bottom line to prosper. All right. So we're looking today at a character study that we've been in for some time. The character's name is John. His title is the Baptist or the baptizer, or as one teacher called it, the immerser. John the immerser. And um, the Gospel of John is the primary place where we're reading about John the Baptist. So John the Beloved, the one who writes the Gospel of John, tells us about John the Baptist. One John reporting on another John. And chapter 1 and verse 19 is where we've come into John's life where the Bible says in verse 19, and this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? Who art thou? Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And then in verse 25, uh, verse 23, excuse me, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. He identified himself here. He identified himself here really based upon his assignment. And so the ongoing lesson, the ongoing discussion has been knowing one's assignment, knowing your assignment, knowing my assignment. John identified himself very closely with his assignment. He said, I am the voice. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare you with the way of the Lord. I've often wondered if John is the voice, who is the one? He said, I am the voice of one. He didn't say I'm the one. He said, I'm the voice of one crying into the wilderness, uh, in the wilderness, prepare you with the Lord. Who is the, the one? And uh, my conclusion has been that the one crying in the wilderness is the Holy Ghost. Because remember, what John is doing is that John is preparing the people for the man, Christ Jesus, for God in the flesh. And he is preparing or presenting the man, Christ Jesus, God in the flesh, to the people. All right. And Jesus, God in the flesh, said that the Holy Ghost would glorify him. In the book of John, chapter 16, in the book of John, chapter 16, Jesus said that the Holy Ghost would glorify himself, glorify Jesus, that is. And 1614. And so the one crying is the Holy Ghost, but the Holy Ghost needs a voice. The Holy Ghost needs a voice. Remember in the book of Acts chapter 2, verse 1, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak. Now, prior to the speaking with other tongues, and the Spirit gave them utterance, and the Bible says that the people uh, in the city began to hear them speaking their own language. Notice now that the disciples or the, and the apostles, they all heard wind. And wind is essential to a voice. 
but a voice is produced when wind or air passes through flesh. We call that flesh vocal cords. And when the wind passes through that flesh and that flesh vibrates at a certain frequency, the outcome of wind and flesh is voice. The Holy Ghost blowing on some human being who vibrates at the right frequency produces the voice of God. John the Baptist, if you recall, was filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. An intrauterine Jesus showed up. Intrauterine John began to leap because he's the voice. And what happens with a voice? Wind blows on flesh and the flesh vibrates. Even in the womb, the flesh of the unborn John began to vibrate because the wind had swept through. And of course, his assignment had showed up, God in the flesh. When you recognize your assignment, it'll make you leap. When you recognize your assignment, when you get close to your assignment, it'll make you leap. When you get close to somebody carrying your assignment, it'll make you leap. You don't have to, that, that's one of the reasons why I, I get concerned about people who don't have, Lord, help me, help me, sir. I, I get concerned about people who don't have a word provoked praise. I understand if you're not particularly musical. I understand you're not particularly rhythmic, but I do not understand how the word of the Lord can come to you and the word of the Lord contains your assignment and the presence and the awareness of your assignment and the proximity of your assignment doesn't provoke you to leave. And I don't just mean jump up off the floor. I just mean there, 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 there's, there's, there's an automatic, autonomic response. Yeah, that concerns me. They're concerned. When, when people are just passe when it comes to the utterance of God? No, if God is speaking, he's speaking to your assignment in some regard. And when you get close to your assignment, it causes you to want to do something. I think you see it. And so we've been talking about, oh, yes, it will, Sister Ladger, when you get close to your assignment, it will make you leap. One of the reasons why it makes you leap is because when you see somebody else carrying your assignment, when you see somebody else carrying your assignment, your heart begins to say, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. That's me right there. I, I, I recognize that sound. I recognize that move. I recognize that impact. I've sat watching people with the assignment that I know is on my life and I've wept. I will because I see I, I'm looking at what I know God has called me to do. I'm looking at where I know God has called me to go. And you need to expose yourself intentionally to that assignment and to someone who's carrying that assignment. It will provoke you. It will bring you to the point where you cannot live without it. 
Here's six month old John and barely one month old Jesus, both of them inside the respective uteruses of their mothers. And John, as it were, not, not, not necessarily, the Bible doesn't state it, doesn't state it, but John, as it were, is leaping, saying, I got to get out of here. That's my assignment. I sense he's in the atmosphere. He's, he's in proximity to me. She's carrying Jesus. That's my assignment. The Bible said he leaped for joy. My, 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 my. May I say one more thing? Joy comes when you realize your assignment is still intact. When you can't get joy from anywhere else, you know, the Bible says the joy of the Lord is my strength. When I realize that my assignment is still intact, that he hasn't changed his mind, that the calling of God is still there, that the purpose of God is still there, and that I can feel it drawing near to me. I can feel it coming close to me. There's joy in that. <laughs> All right, now some of you look like you're trying to preach or, or shout or do something here. Be careful. All right, here we go. Knowing my assignment. Number one, to know my assignment, I must know my sender. Secondly, I must know myself. Thirdly, I must know my superior and are my system. Fourthly, I must know my skills. Now, I will back up just to the superior to point out that in the case of Jesus and John the Baptist, John the Baptist is right. Jesus is superior to him innately. However, however, uh, in our case, human beings, no human being is intrinsically superior or inferior to another human being. We're all equal. But there is a system that all of us work in, right? All of us operate in a system that has authority that we're under and authority in which we are in, uh, responsible for others. And in order to understand my assignment, I must understand my superior within the context of the system. You understand? So I'm not talking about somebody being naturally superior to you. No one is. Nor naturally inferior to you. No one is. And if we could get that, we would, we would do away with so many issues because some of us, we were raised to think that we are superior to certain people or certain kinds of people or that we're inferior to certain people or certain kinds of people. Neither one of those uh, ideas are true. We're equal in worth, W-O-R-T-H. We're distinct in work, W-O-R-K, and the work pertains to the system in which we are placed. And so to know my assignment, to know my sender, know myself, know my uh, superior slash system. Fourthly, to know my skills to know my skills. John has, when I say skills, I'm using the term skills, but what I really mean is gift set, gift set. John has a gift set that is comprised of 
at least three major components. It may have more, but at least three major components. And here they are. He is prophet, he is teacher, and he is baptizer or immerser. He is prophet, he is teacher, and he is immerser. He is prophet, teacher, and immerser. We went back over this morning three major distinctives that we find in the Old Testament pertaining to the prophet's office. Now, everybody does not have the office of prophet. Everybody does not occupy the office of prophet. But if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, the spirit of prophecy, because the Holy Ghost is the spirit of prophecy, ultimately, the spirit of prophecy is within each of us. The Bible tells us, Romans, excuse me, Revelation, Revelation 19.10, that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Paul told us in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, for ye may all prophesy. That doesn't make us all prophets. It just means that the Holy Ghost indwells us and the Holy Ghost is a speaking spirit. He's not mute. He's not dumb. D-U-M-B. I just voiced the B for you. He's a speaking. He is the speaking spirit. Paul told us, for example, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. The point is, the Holy Ghost is the speaking spirit. Jesus said, the Holy Ghost, when he has come, he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. The Holy Ghost is a speaking spirit. He's not silent. He's speaking. He's speaking. All right. So because you have the spirit of God within you, then the prophetic is in you. Follow that. All right. Sister Emma Martin, I'm going to respond directly to your question. Immerse is to baptize. So it's just another term for John the baptizer or the Baptist. Those words mean the same thing. Immerser is another term that means the exact same thing. John the Immerser is John the Baptizer or Baptist. We use the term Baptist, we think about a certain denomination. That's not what the word means first. The word first means to submerge or to immerse someone uh, in some typically fluid. And of course, in the church, first the body of Christ, then in water, then in the Holy Ghost. Those are at least three baptisms, and, and, and there's actually at least uh, a fourth one, maybe a fifth one, but at least another, a fourth one. We're baptized into the body of Christ. We're baptized in water. We're baptized in the Holy Ghost. And then we're also baptized in certain levels of suffering. And there may be some other baptisms, but those are four that stand out in the scripture. All right, so... Let's uh, let's move on. He is a a prophet. That's where I was going. Uh, we talked about the diversity of the prophetic 
um, in terms of the prophet's office from the Old Testament, the terms Nabi, uh, Roe, and Kose, and how they correspond, how they correspond to the Nabi, the bubbling forth, speaking forth spontaneously. That that's one way that the prophetic functions in some people's lives. Secondly, Kose, visions, dreams. The seer is the way the word Roe is sometimes translated. And then finally, Kose, which comes within Roe, but also has an intuitive aspect to it where the Nabi is speaker, Roe, seer, Kose, uh, <clears throat> knower. You understand? I'm talking about the diverse ways in which the same prophetic flow, in other words, prophetic outcome may have a different uh, influx within. In other words, it comes out with the same impact to glorify God, but the way it works in the individual may vary. In other words, sometimes when the prophetic flows in the individual's life, he or she speaks without any mental or cognitive rehearsal. It comes straight from spirit to mouth. That's the Nabi uh, phenomenon, the bubbling forth. Then there's the Roe situation. Someone has night visions that we also call dreams, or they have visions while they're conscious, all right? Which we call visions. That's, that's the Roe seer kind of phenomenon. Then we have the Kose, which overlaps the seer, overlaps the Roe somewhat, but it also includes intuitive kinds where you didn't speak anything and you did not necessarily see anything. It's just that you came to the point where you know. Five seconds ago, you didn't know, but now you know a thing about a person, about an event, about a place. And what I said to the first group, and I will say to you here, is that um, the, the supernatural of God, such as the prophetic, is not merely designed for liturgical application. It is designed for lifestyle application, even more so. The revelation gifts, the power gifts and the utterance gifts are not only designed for liturgy. Liturgy is the order of service, the, the house of worship. It's not designed merely for liturgy, but even more so for lifestyle. That's why we're talking about it among you on a Monday. It is because the same gift that operates in the preacher on his platform on Sunday is to operate through you on your platform, your professional platform, on Monday through Friday, Saturday. Same Holy Ghost. Don't you have the same Savior? Didn't you profess faith in the same Lord? Haven't you received the same Holy Spirit? Then why would he work through the preacher and not work through the rest of the body because you happen not to wear a white collar? You've got everything else that the preacher has, same redemption, same blood, you understand, of course, he has a different calling and, and may have done some different studies, but you get the point, I believe. In essence, you have the same God 
And he's not merely, and his power is not merely limited to the liturgical. It is for lifestyle as well. And even more so, because your lifestyle has more uh, non-liturgical in it than liturgical, unless you happen to be a preacher. Unless you happen to do what I do, the majority of your life is lived outside liturgy. And so do you mean that you're going to have the minimum of your God life, your empowered and supernatural life in the house of God, and then the rest of your life, just a regular, ordinary, uh, normal, just like everybody else kind of? No, God intends to empower your lifestyle of which the liturgy is just one subset, one subcomponent. And you don't have to take liturgical style into your life style. What do you mean when you say that, Brother Blue? I'm saying that in this environment, it might be appropriate to get loud and boisterous and use King James English when we say what it is that we sense by the Spirit prophetically. But in the workplace, you probably won't get loud. In the workplace, you probably will not use King James English. You follow that? But it's the same Holy Ghost. And God expects that the same anointing that moves in our liturgy move even more so in our lifestyle. Greater is a lifestyle of the supernatural than a liturgy of the supernatural. He was prophet. He was teacher. Uh, you can study that in Luke chapter three. You'll see uh, John teaching the people how to live. Uh, in Luke 11, they told us that he taught his disciples to pray. And in Matthew chapter nine, uh, they tell us that he taught his disciples to fast. So he's he's definitely a profound teacher. And then he is a baptizer. He has a unique function. He has a unique function. John, you don't read about many. He's the, he's the second to the last of the Old Testament prophets. He's second to the last of the Old Testament prophets. Jesus is the last. John is the second to the last of the Old Testament prophets. Jesus said, among them born of woman, none has risen greater than John the Baptist. You don't read about the others doing a lot of baptizing. It's not that none did because baptism was a Jewish ritual in those days. But you don't read much about it being a feature of many of their ministries. God gave John a distinction. And, and you know, oh, Jesus was John's understudy. Jesus became a follower of John to the extent that Jesus had a baptism ministry as well. We refer to John as the Baptist, but um, we don't refer to Jesus as the Baptist, but uh, he was a Baptist too. All the Baptist brothers and sisters on the streams, I knew it, I knew he was a <laughs> That's not exactly what I mean, but he was a baptizer as well. The Bible says he made and baptized more disciples than John. Uh, fourth chapter of John, Gospel of John, chapter four and verse one. 
When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. Jesus made and baptized more disciples. So, so if you're going to call John the Baptist, you're going to have to call Jesus the Baptist as well, because he was a baptizer as well. He was an immerser as well, which speaks of the fact that he placed himself under the spiritual authority of John the Baptist. He, he acknowledged John as the spiritual authority even though he's Jesus, even though he's the son of God, even though he's God almighty, in effect, John is his pastor. <laughs> in effect, John is his pastor. And, and, and notice that when he started preaching, he preached what his pastor preached. That's a tremendous kingdom of God precedent. That before you get, quote, unquote, out on your own, whoever the spiritual authority is to which God has assigned you, you might want to preach what he or she preached. God will cause you to advance what he's saying through another man or another woman before he gives you your own distinctive utterance. That's the principle. There may be exceptions. That's the principle. Before your distinct sound comes into full fruition, you will echo the sound of a spiritual authority to whom God has assigned you. All right. Mm -hmm. Um. Dr. Monroe used to teach that. He taught it in his own way. If you didn't understand it, you might not have understood it. But um, the Bible says, remember the, the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, by whose authority do you do these things? And Jesus said, well, let me ask you a question. By whose authority did John do what he did? Was his preaching from heaven or was it of men? And the Bible says the Pharisees said, if we say it was from heaven that then Jesus is going to come back and say, well, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of men, we're scared of the people because the people believe that he was a prophet. So they went back to Jesus and said, we can't tell. We don't know where he got his ministry from. We don't know where he got his word from. Jesus said, well, I'm not going to tell you where I got mine from. Uh, uh, Dr. Monroe said it this way. When they asked Jesus where he got his authority, he said, John, I got it from John. <laughs> Essentially, that's what he was saying. He was saying, John, my pastor. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Now, you understand the principle, right? Jesus is God. He doesn't need anybody to be his pastor. But on the earth, he submitted to the spiritual authority that preceded him. He submitted to John the Baptist all the way to the point of allowing John to baptize him. We talked about that earlier. Amen. It, it is so. Okay. So those are his skills. I want to go back to the baptizer. Uh, so we'll, we'll get to it. If I don't get to it today, I'm definitely going to get back to it because I told you last Monday 
that there's an element of that that is so touching to my heart. I'm telling you, it is absolutely so touching to my heart. Uh, all right. He is to know my assignment is to know my sender, myself, my superior slash system, my skills, and then five, to know my service. John's service is to prepare, right, a people for Messiah and Messiah for the people, or to present, as it were, Messiah to the people. Listen to me. First session, we had to go, we've got to go back over it just a moment. When we read the Old Testament, which gives us precedent for the new, we will observe that in every case that we get to watch closely, in almost every case that we get to watch closely, it is another kingdom principle that you will be presented. You won't just show up on stage of life at a certain at a certain point. God will use somebody to present you. Somebody will point the finger at you. Someone will announce you. John the Baptist announces Jesus. God will use someone to announce you. When Saul became king, Samuel announced him. When David was anointed king, Samuel announced him. When Joseph went into the house of Pharaoh, the butler announced him. When Esther went to the palace of Ahasuerus, it is because first Mordecai and then Haggai had announced her. When Joshua began to lead the children of Israel, it was because Moses had announced or presented him. When the 12 apostles took over the leadership of the church at the ascension of Jesus Christ, the people were ready to receive them because they were announced and presented by Jesus Christ. It is a kingdom of God principle that God will use someone to present you, someone to announce you. Now, like I said, there are exceptions. And then sometimes it's not necessarily an exception. It's just that we didn't get the details. I said to the group this morning that the, the New Testament does not share with us many of the life details that the Old Testament does concerning its characters. And so that's one of the reasons why we look back at the Old Testament to learn some things that the New Testament really doesn't deal with in depth. For example, we get to see several families and several marriages in the Old Testament we don't deal with a single marriage as a marriage in the New Testament, not one. We have some married people. Peter's married. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila are married. No doubt some others are. But we don't get a lot of insight into the, well, <laughs> uh, Ananias and Sapphira are married. But we don't get a, a, a depth into the domestic in the New Testament to the extent that we often do in the Old Testament. So we we that's why that 15 and 4 romans is so pertinent uh that the things which are written aforetime were written for our learning paul is talking in the new testament you understand that right okay now to know my scope is number six i'm preparing the people for the messiah and i'm preparing the messiah for the people You've got to know yourself. What 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 really are you 
there to do? What are you there to do? What is your service? What are you to give the world? What does God intend for you to give the world? What is your service? What is your service? There's a great hymn by Isaac Watts. A charge to keep I have. That's an assignment. A charge is an assignment of God to glorify. A never dying soul to save and fit it for the sky. A never dying soul to save and fit it for the sky. Second stanza. I believe this is the second stanza. To serve the present age, my calling to fulfill. Oh, may it all my powers engage to do my master's will. It's about assignment. That classic hymn is about assignment. You find some old person who can sing a charge to keep I have and, and ask them to sing it to you. <laughs> all right, let's leave that. All, all right, Reverend Brown, come on. Let my AME uh, roots come on up. That's it. And my Baptist roots, Lord have mercy. I don't want to dwell on that. But that's what the hymn means. What, what is, what are you supposed to serve to the present age? What are you supposed to leave here? When you leave here, what are you going to leave here? That is, when you leave this world, how will you leave this world better? What is your service? That's what you need to know. That's the root of it. What am I to do? John's service, prepare, prepare, prepare. Prepare the people for Messiah. Prepare Messiah for the people to the extent that I'm called to do it. And then present him to them. Prepare, essentially. What's your, what's your, uh, what's your service? Why don't you put it in the comments? Put it in the comments. What's your service? If you don't mind, what's your service? And if it's long, nah, that's not it. That's, that's what's around it. What's around it is long, but, but what you're called to do is bite-sized. What is your service? What's yours? What's your service? If it's two or three paragraphs, mm -mm, that's not it. That's not it. Maybe a sentence. Maybe maybe two sentences. But but you have a service. Okay. And not only do you have a service, but this takes us to my scope. You have a service to a given market, to a given constituency, to a given people. There is a people to whom you are assigned. Now, when I say people, I don't necessarily mean five, but there is a group of people to whom you are assigned. Let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. Man, our time. W would you lend me just a few more, more minutes to wrap this? Jesus said, 
in Luke 418, quoting, quoting Isaiah 61. You know, I'm glad I asked you all to do this. I'm glad I asked you all to do this because we need to talk about this a little more. Jesus said in Luke 4:18, quoting Isaiah 61, beginning of verse 1, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me. You find many people who claim to be anointed, thank God, to preach. Now, there are more people who claim to be anointed than those who claim to be anointed to preach. But listen to it. He has anointed me to preach the gospel. There are a lot of preachers who don't necessarily preach the gospel. But look at this. He knows his scope. He says, I'm called to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, set at liberty to them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, as I interpret that verse, and I believe there, there are men and women who are sound who tend to agree, even expositors and commentators, that poor is the demographic and that all those others are subsets of poor. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, brokenhearted poor. To preach deliverance to the captives, captives poor. Sent me to um, to uh, preach deliverance to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, blind poor. Set at liberty to them that are bruised, bruised poor. In other words, these are all subunits of the poor. Whether they are economically, financially poor, whether they are culturally poor, whether they are, and all of us are before Jesus, spiritually poor. He said, that's my demographic. That's what I'm called to. At some point in your professional life, and profession and ministerial, they overlap. But at some point in your professional life, you are going to come to understand your service and the scope thereof. You're going to understand who it is to whom you are assigned. Because believe it or not, there is a sense, there's a sense, there is a sense in which everybody is not assigned to everybody. There is a sense in which the assignment of everybody is not inclusive directly of everybody. Remember the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians. And, and we're about to close this. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2 and 8. For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. 
Paul refers to himself in another place as the apostle of the Gentiles. He said, and as the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. The point that I'm making is, even though Peter can preach to Jews effectively, and Paul can preach, uh, excuse me, Peter's can, Peter can preach to Gentiles effectively, Paul can preach to Jews effectively, yet there is a distinction in their assignment. Paul's primary audience is to be the Gentiles. Peter's primary audience is to be the Jews. And I'll tell you something. Paul was arrested and Paul ended up in his long Roman imprisonment, the first one particularly, when he went to a people that were not his primary assignment. He was arrested, not in Athens, though he was arrested in some foreign countries, but that particular long-term arrest that, that, that begins in uh, Acts chapter 22, 23, and takes us all the way to 28, that, that came at the hand of the Jews. And so one must be very careful because even though the devil hates you wherever you are, if you are not dealing with your assignment, you can actually open the gate wider for him to get through and attack you. You want to stay with your primary assignment. I'm talking about, I'm talking about that calling. I'm talking about that professional designation. One of the reasons why there are men and women who become very frustrated is because they have not taken enough time to focus in on who it is to whom they are really called. When you talk to little children, they always cling to you. But when you talk to teens, they always give you the thumbs down. And I know you want to save the teens, but if the little children are the ones who receive what it is that God has given you, perhaps that's an indicator that little children are your assignment. I see, here's, here's where I'm closing. I, it, the scope, that is, the scope of your assignment. And, and I'm closing with this. The Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus said, the Holy Ghost is going to come. You're going to receive power and you'll be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, in Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the, the earth. Now, this is not perfect, but for the sake of illustration, I want you to think about concentric circles. Make a small circle. Draw a small circle. Then draw a larger circle around that first one. Then draw a larger circle around those first two. And then draw a larger circle yet around those three. And that basically represents scope of where the apostles and the other disciples were going to minister. First Jerusalem, then Judea, 
then Samaria, then the uttermost parts of the earth. If you are faithful and focused, if you are faithful and focused at the first scope of your assignment, God can and often will enlarge the scope of your impact. I said, if you are faithful and focused with the scope of your assignment in the first stage or phase, God will often enlarge the scope of your impact and of your assignment. Many times it's destiny anyway. He just needs for you to refine and master that first phase or that present phase. Now, I needed this time because I want to point out that, that the book of Acts, Jesus said in Acts 1 and 8, the very beginning of the book of Acts, you're going to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. He told them in the book of Luke, chapter 24 and verse 47, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. He told his people that your base of operations is not going to be Ephesus, it's not going to be Rome. You start out in Jerusalem and stay there until the Holy Ghost has come and power has come. All right? So Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4, they are all in Jerusalem. All their ministry is happening in Jerusalem. By the time we get to chapter 5, Jerusalem is a city. They're all based in the city. But notice that in chapter 5, they begin to move out of the city into the region called Judea. Judea is the region. It's almost like Jerusalem is the city and Judea is the county, if I may use that expression, okay? And then after they've been in Judea, five but still in Jerusalem, still holding Jerusalem, chapter five, chapter six, chapter seven. In Jerusalem, Stephen is stoned for the gospel's sake. And in chapter eight, they are scattered abroad. And where does Philip end up? Samaria. Where does Peter and John go to support Philip? Samaria. So notice the first circle, Jerusalem. Second circle, Judea. Third circle, Samaria, or actually a side of the circle. And then after that, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible said the ends of the earth. Now they go to Ephesus. Now they go to Smyrna and Thyatira. Now they go to Galatia. Now they go to Athens and, and, and to uh, Corinth and, and all of these others. But it's the scope, faithful and focused in this present scale or scope. You see it? Now, here's, here, here's the close. In the book of Matthew, chapter 25, you remember the parable of the talents. The Bible says that God gave, or the master gave one five and one two and the other one. And the, the, the first two, they took their talents and optimized them. Okay? What did the master say when he came back? He said, you've been faithful over a few things. Now I will make you ruler over many things. You have had faithfulness and focus in this scope of your responsibility. Now I'm going to enlarge your scope. Now I'm going to enlarge your reach. Now I'm going to broaden your market. Now I'm going to broaden who listen to you. Now notice Jesus. Jesus only ministered in his home country, that is in the nation of Israel. He barely, if ever, went outside those boundaries. He said, I am not sent, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He knew his scope. John the Baptist's scope was to the nation of Israel. I promise you, I'm going to let you go. I just need you to 
to, to, to tie a bow on this. And we're not going to have the session next week. So I need you, while it's still warm with you, to, to see it. John chapter 1, he says in uh, verse 31, and I knew him not, talking about Jesus, I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. You see, he says, the scope of my assignment is Israel. Not North Korea, not Sudan, Israel. But how many know, how many know that there is a splashover effect when you are focused and faithful in the scope where God presently has you, it is virtually impossible that the impact of your labors not splash over beyond your literal parameters. And so even though we don't have any record of John ever leaving Israel, Remember what Acts chapter 19 and verse 1 says. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and findeth there certain disciples and said unto them, unto what uh, have you received the Holy Ghost? Since you believe, they said, we have not so much has heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. They said, or he said to them, unto what then were you baptized? And they said, unto John's baptism. Notice now, John may never have left the nation of Israel, but because he was focused, because he was faithful, because he magnified the office that God assigned to him, here we are all the way over in Asia, in Ephesus, a major city of the Greco-Roman Empire, and we have Ephesians claiming affinity with John the Baptist. When you're really faithful, there'll be people that you don't know that will be touched by the impact of what God called you to do within the scope of your responsibility. It's called the special effect. Are you listening to me? And, and yes, Pastor Dix, don't mess us up. But that's exactly right. He baptized until his baptizing, you, you, you've seen people baptized before, right? When they go down, there's a splash. I called it this in the first service, a session, I'm calling it again, the splash over effect. You abide in the calling of God. You press into the assignment of God and the impact of your faithfulness and your focus will cause a splash over that people that you don't know will be saying, I've heard about you. I've heard about the work that you're doing. We want to, we want to uh, inculcate some of what you're doing in our area. Would you come and give us a seminar? Would you come and, 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 and conduct a conference for us? Would you come and have a class for us? But God, who has given you the assignment, expects you to seek him for the scope and then be faithful and focused. Don't try to be somebody else. Don't try to be what somebody else is. You remain faithful and focused. Notice this. Even Jesus' own family did not believe him with the exception of Mary, but we have no indication that any of his brothers believed in him till after his resurrection. But he stayed focused. He stayed focused on the scope of his assignment. And his brothers, and of course, the end of the earth, the ends of the earth, have received the impact of his faithfulness and his focus on the scope that God had given him. All right, I must release you. 
thank you so much for sharing with us. If you have a comment, go ahead and give it before I close. Um, I get so worked up and yet I'm in this office with these walls and they don't talk. So I don't know what they get out of it because they never, they never tell. Until we meet again, this is Michael Blue of the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals saying to you, my dear brothers and sisters, go forth today and lead. Come on, Brother Newman. Make the name of Jesus Christ glorious. Make the career of Satan brief and miserable. Together, we will bring pleasure to Christ's heart. We shall bring fame to his name. Until we meet again, may the peace of our eternal God go with you. Thank you for listening to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, FKP, the podcast. If you'd like more engagement, click the link in the show notes to join like-minded professionals in the FKP Facebook group. Follow us at Bishop M.A. Blue on all platforms. Also join the FKP Weekly Conversation Live every Monday at 11.30 a.m. Eastern on Facebook Live and on YouTube. Finally, be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. May God bless you until we meet again.